on Wednesday, I was with the Netzer leadership team, you know, the leadership network that we, uh, are, we connect with. And we were meeting in Reading. It's kind of a central location for all of us. And we were meeting in Reading, having a meeting. Just uh, to, Usually we meet once a month for lunch and talk about everything that's going on and uh, kind of update each other and look for discernment with each other. But before we meet for lunch, we go to a park that's right by there, and we spend a significant amount of time just connecting with each other and praying um, and worshiping, trying to get our hearts in the right place and in a place of discernment. While we were there at this park, uh, we had just been through a, a fair amount of worship together, and we were sitting around in a gazebo outside in the rain, and this man comes walking up to us very slowly with his little dog. It was about this big, and it was a hilarious-looking dog. I don't, I don't know what kind of dog it was. It had a little bit of chihuahua in it, but I don't know what else it had in it, and it had a little bit of a mohawk. And it was, uh, I think he said it was 18 years old. Is that what he said? Eight, 14 years old? 14 years old. He was trying to translate what that would be in dog years. He said somewhere in the 90s is what he had said. It was, was in, uh, in dog years, whatever that means. And uh, so anyway, uh, he comes walking in, um, and he had a cane and his dog, and he sat down in the gazebo with us. And we're in the middle of uh, deeply sharing prayer requests with each other. And it was, I, I mean, a bunch of guys our age, you know, sitting there in a gazebo, and this guy just comes walking in with his dog and sits down right in the middle of us all. And we were like, okay. So um, the guys were great. We're, we're all pastors, you know. They just roll with it. And, and we're sitting there talking to him. And it was neat because at one point we were able to ask him, what do you want? We're about to pray. What would you like prayer for? And he said, just pray that my dog stays with me. That's, that was his prayer because this was clearly that that was his friend, you know. And, uh, and it was, it was a, a sad moment and yet also a, a moment to be able to share uh, with him. But all of that is a side note to the, to the one thing that I wanted to say about that situation, which is that my buddy Jay was sitting next to me, and he looks over, and when this man sat down, he had shorts on, and it was, he had big, long scars about this long on both of his knees. And Jay said to him, how the new knees treating you? And he said, you know what? Not so great. And we were like, why? And he said, well, because when they put them in a few years ago, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And so now they don't work. And I was like, well, that's kind of sad. <laughs> you know, all that work, going through all that surgery. And then he was saying, yeah, I just didn't do what I was supposed to do with them. And so they don't function properly anymore. And things have grown wrong. And later on, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, we've been given new things too, haven't we? Yeah, you know, we're told in Second Corinthians chapter 5, it says, that those of us who are in Christ were new creation. The old has come, or the, the new has come and the old is gone. And that's what we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We've been given a new life. We've been made new. In Ezekiel, it says it like this. In Ezekiel 11.19, it says, this is kind of prophetically speaking. Ezekiel the prophet says this. I will give them an undivided heart. I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and we'll give them a heart of flesh. 
This guy, David, who we met in the park, had been given new knees, and he didn't care for them appropriately. And because of that, all the newness of the knee and all the work that the surgeons did to give him these new knees, it didn't go as far as it could have. And in the same way, Christ dies on a cross in order to give us a new heart and a new life and make us a new creation. But there is still a very significant responsibility on our end to nurture that new heart, to guard it, to care for it. This is the question that's posed to us in Proverbs. Long before Christ, there's wisdom coming from Proverbs. And this is what it says. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Above all else, guard your hearts. Philippians 4, 7 says that the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guarding our hearts isn't quite like guarding our new knees and taking care of new knees. It's a little bit different, isn't it? I mean, with the new knees, you have to exercise it, and we do have to exercise our heart. But it's much more than just exercising it and not letting them get hit. You know, guarding our hearts really has to do with relationship, our relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason that our hearts have been made new, the reason we're given a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, is so that we can relate to Christ. We've been washed clean. We've been made pure for one purpose, so that we can engage the living God the way we were meant to. And out of that, we can reveal the glory of God as he flows through us in those fruits of the Spirit that we spent the last 10 weeks talking about. And so the guarding of that heart has to do with the guarding of a love of a relationship. And guarding love and relationship isn't so much just like guarding a part of the body. Guarding the heart is a much deeper thing than guarding just a knee. It's much more actually like tending a fire when I think about it. That's what it's like. I've been taking the boys out camping and kind of teaching them about how to deal with starting a fire and making a fire work and the principles of that. And, of course, there's really two main important principles to keep in mind when it comes to tending a fire. Right? What are the two principles that you can think of? Keeping it lit. What do you need to keep it lit? Fuel. Okay, so you need fuel. You need oxygen and stuff to burn. You need the, you need the wood or the, or the gasoline. Kidding. That leads to the second principle, which is what? Safety. Be careful with that fire. Okay, so there's two things. It needs fuel and then it needs it the right way, the right, you know, and you got to be careful about it. So there are two things when it comes to tending a fire that are true about keeping the fire going in our hearts. One is that it needs fuel. It needs intentionality. It needs investment. But the second is it also needs safety. It needs to be respected and it needs to be guarded. Okay, and so we're going to start there today. What does it mean if we're going to protect our hearts, if we're going to guard our hearts? It says the peace of Christ will guard our hearts. And this is important that the peace of Christ will guard our house, our hearts. When a doctor puts new knees in someone, what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that that person will be able to function well with their legs again and be completely independent. That doctor doesn't want to see the patient anymore. 
right? The doctor says, I want to put new knees in you. And then if it's effective, I don't want to ever see you again. I want, maybe you might spend a little bit of time with the physical therapist. And then beyond that, you shouldn't even be seeing them anymore. The whole point is to get us independent with a surgery like that. Very different when it comes to a relationship. A relationship, the idea isn't to get independent. The idea is to grow very interdependent. Not codependent, but interdependent. Truly depending appropriately. Having the connections be right between the two parties. And you see, God is definitely, he's the great physician. He's the doctor. He's the one who can put a new heart in us. He's the one who can give us a new spirit. But his point then is not to give us a new heart, to give us a new spirit, to give us a new perspective on life, and then to kick us out the door and say, all right, have a good life. It's nothing like that. Of course, the whole reason to give us a new heart is so that we can approach him again. And physical therapy, he is the therapist of our life. But the point is not to get us independent. It's to teach us how to appropriately depend on him. It's just the opposite. And the peace of Christ will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's not just that he gives us a new heart and then it's our job to go over here and guard it. It's that he gives us a new heart and our job is to stay connected to him so that he can guard it. Because he's the guard of our heart. Galatians 3, 2-3 says this. This is uh, before Fruits of the Spirit when Paul is talking to the church in Galatia about how they nurture that relationship with God. And it says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? In other words, the grace of God has spiritually renewed us and transformed us. And what can happen sometimes is we've received that supernatural grace of God in salvation, and it's been spectacular. And then we kind of think somewhere in our minds we're deceived into thinking this isn't even a comfortable thought, but somehow it gets put in our head by the enemy, and we receive it. This thought that says, thank you so much for saving me. I got it from here. And it doesn't work, of course. But that's the tendency each day of our life is this tendency to kind of go independent. However, guarding our hearts, guarding our hearts is much like guarding a marriage. I don't know of anything else that's more similar to guarding a heart in a relationship with God than guarding our hearts in marriage. And you remember when we stand at the altar with, uh, with someone, if, if I were to stand at the altar with a couple, and I was I officiated a, couple, a few weddings in here. I've done most of my weddings elsewhere, but um, I'm sure if the new sanctuary comes along that people will want to get married in the sanctuary more often. But anyway, there, there was people that were right here. And if I were to say to them, uh, to ask them to repeat their vows to one another, and, you know, they, they make their own vows. And what if the guy was standing here and he said, honey, I'm going to love you my whole life. I promise I will love you till the day I die. I'm also going to love so-and-so and so-and-so, but I'm going to love you till the day I die. That doesn't work, does it? No, there's this, there's this phrase, forsaking all others until death do us part, right? And what is that about? What is that forsaking all others until death do us part? Galatians 5, 24 to 25. These are the two verses that come directly after. You remember that we've been saying it for 10 weeks. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then it says this, next verse, 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 4, or 5, 24 to 25. What's the point? The point is that we cannot say that we're all in with Christ and that we have this new heart and nurture that heart where we also have other loves and passions. That's called a divided heart, not an undivided heart. And it is important in order to keep our heart in the right place, we have to sacrifice other things. In order for a marriage to work, in order for us to nurture the heart toward one another in a marriage, we have to forsake all others till death do us part. Maybe you've heard of Soren Kierkegaard. You know, in the early to mid-1800s, he was the Danish philosopher. Brilliant, brilliant man. He's the one who's credited with that, that whole phrase, leap of faith, to take a leap of faith. He's one of the first in the existential philosophers, which, which means that they don't believe that there's enough empirical evidence to prove anything without a shadow of doubt. Somewhere along the line, Kierkegaard says, you have to take a step of faith. He doesn't actually say a leap of faith. He says a leap to faith. That's what he says, which is much different than a leap of faith. He says in order to have faith, you have to leap to it. It won't pull you in. You have to leap to it. You Somewhere along the line, your mind won't start being faith. You have to choose it, is what he's saying. But this is Soren Kierkegaard. One of his greatest books is this idea, uh, or is, here's the title of one of his greatest books, and it says the whole phrase, this phrase, the title of the book says it all on its own. The, the title of the book is Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. If we want our hearts to be pure, we need to desire one singular thing. At the core of our hearts, there is space for one. There is not space for multiple things. Just like in a marriage, there's not space for more than one. You know? There really isn't. There's room for one. You can ask those Old Testament guys who dealt, you know, ask Abraham, ask, ask all of them how it went when there was more than one. You know, ask Rachel and Leah, ask Sarai and her handmaiden Hagar, ask them how it went when there was more than one. Ask Solomon how his life turned out when there was more than one. You know, and that's just in marriage. When it comes to God, Exodus 20 verse 3 gives us the first of the great ten commandments. And what does it say? You shall have no other God's before me. None. There is room for one. And one alone. And if we will guard our hearts, a huge part of guarding our hearts will be understanding that I cannot allow my heart to yearn for anything other than Christ. That's it. Period. There's no getting around that. I can only yearn for Christ. If I yearn for anything else, it can only be because Christ yearns for it himself. And I yearn for it because Christ yearns for it. If I yearn for my wife, it's only because Christ has, has brought me into a spot where I can yearn appropriately. See, everything goes through the filter of Christ. Once I'm married, there's never a time when I'm not married. I'm one with my wife, so I should never be making decisions that are independent of her anymore. But much deeper than that, when I've come to commit my life to Christ, 
I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, which means I trust Him. He is the only one at the core of my heart. He is the pure, only desire. Soren Kierkegaard said it. And he said it well. He summarized so many of those scriptures. Purity of heart is to desire one thing. This is why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. I don't know about you, but I don't like when my life is doing this thing and it's bouncing back and forth and it's not making progress. Instead, it's doing this. I want my path to be straight and making good progress. We're on a journey with the Lord and I want it to move forward. I want it to go straight. But one of the things that crushes me in my own personal walk with the Lord, I don't know about you, but crushes me is when my heart is divided and I want more than just God. And I find I'm following God, but then there's this other pull in my heart and it takes me over here and my path is crooked because instead of acknowledging him in all of my ways, instead of trusting him with all of my heart, I'm trusting him with some of it and it's divided, which is why there's this deep need for me to trust him in every part of my life, every part of it, every single part. There's these moments these terrible moments that happen in our lives. When we want God, we trust God, but then that subtle temptation comes in. You know the moments. I know the moments. But there's this thing. I was just talking uh, uh, through this with someone. And there's this thing that happens where in that temptation, we have to realize that every time I turn down the temptation, I'm not just resisting the temptation. I'm actually trusting God and saying, you have something far better for me right now. And I'm going to choose to acknowledge you in all my ways and trust you with all my heart. And when that temptation comes and it's, and it's burning within me, the desire to do something else, I need the protection that goes around my heart. And Ephesians 6 tells us what guards our hearts. What is it? In the armor of God, there's something that goes over my heart. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. Listen to how Philippians 4, 8, 9. Remember, Philippians 4, 7 says, The peace of Christ will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Remember, that's what we read at the beginning. The next two verses say this. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Now listen to this last phrase. And the God of peace will be with you. What was it that was going to guard my hearts and my mind in Christ Jesus? The peace of Christ will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to tell us, focus on the pure, focus on the lovely, focus on the good. And when you do, the God of peace will be with you. I will be acknowledging him in all my ways. I'll be focusing on the pure, the lovely, the good. And when I do, Christ will be with me and the God of peace will guard my heart and my mind 
in Christ Jesus. There's this partnership where I stand in front of Christ and I realize you've given me the new heart, Jesus. You've given it to me. You've given me the new spirit. You can make me love all the right things. You can change my focus. But if we're going to stay in the right spot, this is a covenant between God and I. And my covenant with him is this, that you will be my first and only true love. That I will focus my heart on you. That you are everything to me. And I will acknowledge you in all my ways and I won't lean on my own understanding. Instead, I will trust you with all my heart. And when I do, He will guard my heart and He will guard my mind in Christ Jesus and it will be full of peace. Well, that has to do with safety. All of that has to do with safety. Tending fire, you got to be safe. you got to be careful because if you mess with the wrong thing, you're in trouble. Strange fire will burn you. (laughs) You know? Psalm 86 says it like this. It says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. You know what happens when our hearts are divided? When we didn't guard against the strange fire and we didn't have safety and we start to look elsewhere. You know, when our hearts get divided, what happens? There's about three things that happens. First of all, people who have divided hearts tend not to stick around. You know, if our hearts are divided, that whole bouncing back and forth thing happens. You can't count on someone who has a divided heart because they tend not to stick around. Secondly, people with divided hearts tend to not invest as deeply as they should. Because when things aren't working here, over here. Things aren't working here, over here. Right? And we just bounce. We just bounce back and forth and around. And we don't stick with something and say, I've forsaken all others, so somehow i got to make this marriage work because I've already forsaken all the other options. So I'd like to say this is just 100% pure. I'm in love with you. But part of the deal is, is I made a commitment to say, this is the only one. So if I don't like it, i got to figure it out. And that's what happens if we have covenanted our lives, if we have been crucified with Christ. We say there is no other option for my happiness, for my peace, for my joy. I have to find it in Christ. The third thing that happens if we have a divided heart is we get confused. We just get confused. All the time we get confused. We can't figure out what we should do with our life. We can't figure out the next step to make because there's too many factors. Why? Because there's too many desires of our hearts. And it's just not pure and simple and clean anymore. I watch this happen all the time. And honestly, I struggle with it myself all the time. But I watch it in marriage. I watch it in every, almost every counseling session that we have is about this thought. It's about the divided heart. It's about the fact that we say we want this and we're wondering why it's not working. But underneath, we also really want this. And we haven't sacrificed this. Oftentimes, it's not just a lack of wisdom that keeps us from getting somewhere in a relationship. It's the lack of will. It's the lack of appropriate desire. It's a lack of a guarded, protected heart. We've got to be careful about what fire we play with. Strange fire will always burn us. That's the first part of protecting our hearts is safety. The second part has to do with intentionality. Fuel. It needs fuel. If all we ever do is Be careful about what comes into the heart. Well, then it's going to look like that thing. (laughs) You know? Instead of a breastplate of righteousness that's over top of beating flesh, instead, it's just a heart made of steel or stone. Remember, we've been given a heart of flesh. 
that's made to thrive, that's made to pound, that's made to pump blood, that's made to be on fire and explosive. It's made to be passionate. It's made to love. It's made to overflow in a relationship with God that ultimately serves to caring for the saints and investing into those who are in deep need. We have to feed it, just like you have to feed a fire. It's not just that we have to guard it. It's, that, it's not just that we have to guard our hearts from going places other than Christ. It's this. It's that we have to remember that He is our joy. That He's the puzzle we're trying to solve. You know, we're all, we want to solve some sort of puzzle, and He's the puzzle. He's the mountain that we want to climb. He's the one that we're trying, this is the thing we're trying to conquer, is living in relationship with God. He is our love. And he's our vacation. The thing we're looking forward to to get away, that's Christ. You know? For some people, they look forward to their smoke break or their happy hour or to their vacation or their next meal or whatever it is. We look forward to Christ. We look forward to the next moment with Jesus. He's the favorite TV show that we watch. He's that song that we just can't wait to hear. He's that one true friend that we want to connect with. He's the newspaper that we read in the morning to get our bearings on what's going on in the world. Jesus is that next purchase that we're constantly thinking about. He's our obsession. He's our daydream. He's the thing that we can't stop thinking about. He's our hobby. He's the attaboy, the thing, the approval that we're looking for. He's everything. He is, he is, he is. And I need to pursue him as if he is all of those things. Why? Why? Because he's the only thing. That's it. Outside of him, there is no thing. There is nothing outside of Christ. All things are held together by him and for him. All things were created by him. All things return to him. If we open up the book of Colossians, it blows our minds to realize that everything is held together by Jesus Christ and exists for him. Therefore, I need to pursue him as if he's the only thing. Psalm 37.4, man, David. (laughs) Life of David just crushes us on this point, on both ends, on the positive and the negative. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Our heart will be truly fulfilled as we delight ourselves in him. This guy from the park, David, you know, he had the new knee given to him. And uh, it's so sad because he just didn't exercise it, you know? And I'm like, ah, all that. And it doesn't work. And you're, he's hobbling around the park, hobbling around the park. I don't know, Christian after Christian that's just hobbling through the spiritual life. Just hobbling. Not jumping. You remember when Jesus heals heals the guys, you know, that are lame, and then they just start jumping and running. And uh, there's this song that the kids always sing. Uh, I was I was uh, shouting and leaping and praising God. Shouting and leaping and praising God. And there's this idea in our lives that our lives should be full of the joy of the Lord. That we should be in tackling this life with great passion and with great faith. But oftentimes we hobble because we haven't learned to care for the heart, because we haven't pursued Christ as if he's the only thing. I want to read this. Um, I, I'll, we'll close up by reading this thing. There's, uh, I had a buddy send me a, uh, an article that was about how to tend a marriage. 
And uh, it was pretty good, how to tend to marriage. But the principles in there, some of those principles reminded me of how to tend a relationship with God. So I adapted it and took some of the principles. And I just want to read a few of the principles that were intended to be about marriage, but are very, very true in our relationship with God. Think of this list here. Number one, never stop pursuing God. Never stop courting. Never ever take God for granted. He chose you. Never forget that. And never get lazy in your love with God. Number two, protect your heart. Guard your own heart with vigilance. Love openly. But leave that special place in your heart where no one can enter except for God. Keep that space always ready to receive him and invite him in and refuse to let anyone or anything else be there. Fall in love with him, three, over and over again. Change comes, so you have to choose every day again to love him. Take full accountability and responsibility for your own emotions. It's no one else's problem except us. We have to choose to engage and get our hearts in the right place. Be silly. Don't take yourself so seriously. Laugh. (laughs) Enjoy God. Be present. Give him not only your time, but your focus, your attention, and your soul. Do whatever it takes to clear your mind and focus on him so you can be fully with him. Treat him as you would your most valuable client and customer. He is. Be vulnerable. Don't have it all together. Be willing to share your fears and feelings. Be quick to acknowledge your mistakes. Be fully transparent. If you want to have, if you want to have trust, you have to be willing to share everything, especially those things you don't want to share. It takes courage to fully love, to open your heart, and to let him in when you don't even know if he will like what he finds or pretty sure that he won't. Part of that courage is allowing him to love you completely, even in your darkness. Drop the mask. If you feel like you need to wear a mask around him and show up perfect all the time, you will never experience the full dimension of what love can be. Never stop growing together. The stagnant pond breeds malaria. The flowing stream is always fresh and cool. Atrophy is the natural process when you stop working a muscle, just as it is if you stop working on your relationship. Find goals and work toward them. Exercise that heart. Don't worry about money. It's a game. Play it with God. Last one. Always choose love. In the end, this is the only advice you really need. If this is the guiding principle through which all your choices are governed, there is nothing that will threaten happiness of your relationship with God. Love will always endure. The journey with God isn't about happily ever after at first. It's about work and a commitment to grow together and a willingness to continually invest in creating something that does endure for all of eternity. Through that work, the happiness will come. The journey is life. And it will bring ups and downs, embracing all of life's cycles and learning to learn from and love each experience will bring the strength and perspective to keep building one brick at a time. Parker Ford Church, we are people following Christ up, in, and out. That's our aim. That's our goal. One thing, Christ. Christ alone. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ within me, transforming me. I look for Christ. I look for him directly up in that relationship. I look for him in as we work on this community together. We look for him out as we go out and serve. Perhaps some of us have lost some of that perspective at times, kind of like David did. You remember when the kings went off to war and he was supposed to be going out and he didn't and he stayed home and he encountered Bathsheba? 
and his heart was divided. And when that heart got divided, terrible things started to happen. Strange fire burnt him, and it burnt many others too. But do you remember what he says? How he ends it all? After all the pain, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What's tempting you today? What's tempting me today to have a divided heart? Let's ask God to purify it, to cleanse it, to come to the altar with God and say, I want you. I don't want that. I don't need that. If you want to give me that thing, that's fine. If you don't want to give it to me, that's fine. I want you. That's it. Just you. You're worth it. Amen? Let's pray.